I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is March 25th, 2001. We are at the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles for the 73rd, 73rd annual Academy Awards. Um, our host this evening, for the first time ever, is Steve Martin. He'll be back a couple of times. And it is time for the big award of the night, the envelope, please. And the Oscar goes to Gladiator. Douglas Wick, David Franzoni, and Bruno Kalisco. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Envelope, Please, a podcast where we watch and discuss every Best Picture Oscar winner in chronological order, and we are your hosts. I am Samuel. I'm Ranson. <laughs> <laughs> are we doing our full legal names now? I guess Wait, so. is your full name really Ranson? Yes, it is. It's not just Rance? No, it's Ranson. <laughs> Why didn't I know that? I've never known that. Because no one calls me that. It's like the useless, long-form, literally one-letter difference name. It creates just legal conundrums anytime I have to give my... Because I'll, like, I'll call a bank or, you know, whatever, and, uh, and they'll ask for my name, and I'll say Rance intrinsically. Um, intrinsically? That's not the right word for there. Um... I'll just say Rance automatically, and they'll, like, talk to me doubtfully, like, uh, it says here Ranson, and I'm like, do you really think? <laughs> <laughs> that I'm wow, lying Wow, banks to really you. doing their due diligence. Wow, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, Ranson. No, I'm going to call you Rance. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, please call me Rance. Everybody calls me Rance. Um... So anyway, uh, we uh, are back. Uh, I know it's been a little while since we've had a, a new new uh, year episode. I think it's been, what, a month or two, hasn't it? It's been a month or two, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, are, we apologize for the hiatus. It's only because Sam and I have such active, interesting lives. Um, <laughs> and full finding lives, times, you know. It's less about finding time to record and more about finding times to watch the movies, honestly. This is true. We do want to try to be as informed as possible, so we try to watch as many of these movies here. At least we're getting to years now where we've seen a lot of them, but there are still quite a few here in these early 2000s where I haven't seen some of them. Um, I feel so like yeah, it does take a while. like that time where we weren't old enough to see a lot of these things um in theaters just because I, I mean like i'll tell you there's not a single movie this year that i don't remember seeing the trailer for on television you know accurate accurate yeah that's the point that we're at um but i didn't see all them in theaters because they were adult films and i was very much a uh i wasn't even a teenager yet actually you were just I, you were just uh, a wee little ranson well, I, I turned 13 this year, but I was not 13 yet. So this right. is um, this is Rance in seventh grade. 
But we have Steve Martin hosting this year, and I think that's fabulous. I would love to have him back again. He hosts a couple more times, right? Quite oh, yeah, a few yeah. more times. Uh, I, a couple years after this, there's also that time he tag teams it with um, Alec Baldwin. That's my favorite. <laughs> that was such a good job. Oh, my gosh, yeah. We need Steve Martin he back. Has, this is a great year. He has some good lines, too. I, I uh, of course, watched the opening monologue uh, and he talks about you know how many people are watching around the world and they start out by showing some people who are watching it up in space uh, some <laughs> NASA guys and um, and he says and every one of them is thinking the exact same thought that we're all gay <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure they yes. make that joke now but I, I don't mind it. And uh, I don't mind he, it. That's funny. he talks about how the arts brings together uh, a diverse coalition of people. And he mentions race and religion and all those things. And he says, all in search of the same thing, publicity. <laughs> um, that is um, a machine that keeps this industry going. <laughs> and he, he, uh, he mentions like how it is being a famous person with people coming up to you in the supermarket at other places saying, are you Steve Martin? Are you Steve Martin? And he says, when I'm making love, are you Steve Martin? Um, <laughs> uh, and he, he mentions the actors as they do in the opening monologue. And he says uh, that, you know, Tom Hanks, if he wins tonight, uh, between me and Tom, we'll have three Oscars. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's good. Listen, Steve Martin has like the right sense of humor and the right kind of, like, material and jokes for, I don't know, like, more of, like, a global audience, you know what I mean? It's not something, you're not afraid he's going to say something super offensive, he's not going to say anything problematic, it's just really good humor, which is why I'm like, bring someone like that back, someone that he's you can't really, like... He's very self-deprecating, too, which yeah. is, which works, yeah. Well, someone you're not going to find a lot of fault in, you know what I mean? I don't know, I just feel like the Oscars nowadays are always trying to do something... Oh, what to say. Like, they're just trying to, like, create headlines, right? And I don't think Steve Martin is, like, a headline type of a host where it's going to bring in any kind of, like, oh, my gosh, shocking Oscars, you know? It's just, like, the Oscars can also just be entertaining. And that's what Steve Martin does. Great entertainment. And it's it's hard to, um, you know, it's hard in, in the Twitter, Snapchat, um age where yeah. you have um snapchat good lord how old am i um <laughs> i think where, you mean tiktok tiktok is what i meant to say where everything is about grabbing attention mm-hmm. and so you when you're searching to grab attention you often um lose that quality is often something that is not a moment but is like a sustained level of um, of entertainment that's earned, you know, an earned investment, if you will. And Steve Martin is not a headline grabber. He's a, he's an earned investment. That's what I'm going to go with. I don't know. Um, you know, I thought that, uh, in recent years, uh, Jimmy Kimmel had a similar vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, he was like good, not, I think Steve Martin's great as a host. Um, and I thought Jimmy Kimmel was really good. Um, 
maybe the last really great host we had was Ellen, but I don't, I doubt she'll be ever coming back again. You know, no, I don't think so. Um, so it's, uh, but she was a great host. I mean, she did, she did the job. So it, it's difficult. I don't know if we'll get another Steve Martin. You know, they, uh, emceeing is, is a, is a complicated position. It really is. It's not. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Definitely. Anyway, no, this is this is a great year for movies. We are finally in a new, well, we're in a new decade. We are in a new millennium. We're going to do a lot of stuff going on here. Um, and there's a lot of good movies this year. So many that I think were left off of the list. The first thing I want to talk about is I really wish in my snubs for this year, I really wish that this was the year they introduced the best animation, live, um, long-form animation is that how you say that? Best animated feature. There we go. I yes. wish that category had been introduced this year because we have movies like Chicken Run. We have movies like Emperor's New Groove, Road to El Dorado. Some of my absolute favorite animated movies came out this year, and I'm just so sad they didn't get the recognition they could have without this category. Well, I mean, on that subject, uh, my, my big snub for this week is... The genius animated film that is The Emperor's New Groove. What? A llama? He's supposed to be dead! Yeah, weird. Now, yes. <laughs> I I have long contended that this is my favorite Disney movie. Um, I don't know if you knew this about me. Um, but I... I didn't, but I'm glad I'm finding this out because it's absolutely one of my favorites. <laughs> I 100% saw this in the theater when it came out. Um, I remember the moment of seeing it. I saw it with my aunt and my mom, the twins. And I, um, it, it is such an irreverent film. And if you read the production history about how it was supposed to be, it was going to be called like, um, uh, oh, I, the, it's not Empire of the Sun because that's a different movie. But it was, um, yeah. <laughs> but it was... It was going to be this completely different film at one point where um, it was going to be serious and dramatic and uh, more along the lines of what, um, like, Pocahontas and some other Disney movies had been. Lion King had been in the mid-2000s. Or even, like, the DreamWorks ones, like Prince of Egypt, doing more, like, dramatic animation Yes, exactly. Kingdom of the Sun was what it was going to be called. Oh, yes. um, and uh, and in, it eventually evolved into um, this Prince and the Popper um, story uh, where you have the perfectly cast David Spade um, as Emperor Cusco. Um, who uh, ends up getting turned into a llama. Yay, I'm a llama again! Wait. And <laughs> having to get his kingdom back um, from uh, his evil ex-advisor, um, Yzma, who is expertly portrayed by Earthiket. Yes. And when I tell you my, maybe one of my five favorite moments in film history is, I, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Um, 
it's it's a great meme as well. Pull the lever, crunk. Roll lever. Huh? Why do we even have that lever? <laughs> um, and it's it, I don't know why it's so simple, but every single time, and then whenever she tells the story of her evil plot. And it's like, and we'll put that inside a box, and we'll put that inside another box. Yes. Just the entire vocal performance, it makes you almost wish, I think, that there were Oscars for vocal performances. Um, Yes, I've been saying this for so long. Even if it's not like a separate category, vocal work for an animated film is just as hard as performing in a live action movie just as hard there was that argument you know a few years back in the movie her with joaquin phoenix and scarlett johansson voicing the ai he falls in love with and everyone's saying scarlett johansson deserves an oscar nomination for this vocal performance i think that also applies for just animation and animated movies especially emperor's new groove these performances are so good (laughs) i mean this I also want to, like, highlight this because this movie, um, this is kind of right before we get into the animated craze of casting, like, super A-listers across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the names of the main people here are probably names that you have heard of because they are, they are, they're like, a, they're A-listers, but they're not, um, you know, Reese Witherspoon. Um, in sync, you know what I'm saying? It's like you, you get, uh, David Spade, TV star. Um, also interestingly, his Just Shoot Me co-star, Wendy Malick also has, uh, a great vocal role in this. Yes, uh, you get John Goodman, who, uh. um, is in a lot of Best Picture winners, actually. But, uh, you know, he, at the time he's known as a TV star um, you get Eartha Kitt, who is a legend, um, but not necessarily known as a movie star. You get Patrick Warburton, who does a great job as Kronk. Um, again, not necessarily a movie star, but these are all people who just have incredibly interesting, distinctive voices and do such um, great work in in this movie, which is legitimately hilarious from start to finish. Um, and... Uh, one of them that really makes you wish that we still had hand-drawn animation in the world. I couldn't agree more. I I mean, yeah, Emperor's New Groove, Behind Fox and the Hound, which just will always hold a special place in my heart. Emperor's New Groove is the best Disney movie. I think so. Even if you're bringing in the Disney Renaissance films of, you know, Little Mermaid all the way up until, you know, Tarzan or whatever. Um, I think this movie is better there's as you say there is not like a a joke in emperor's new groove that doesn't land there's not a character that doesn't have this showcasingly funny moment it is just so good the only other animated film that i think rivals it is another one of my favorite animated which is road to el dorado love this movie mainly because the music and I think it's kind of crazy that um, Tim Rice and Elton John were not nominated for any of their songs in Road to El Dorado. They're so good, especially the title song. That 
kind of surprised me, especially after all the love that those two, you know, musicians get and have gotten, especially in the 90s. I think it's crazy they were left off of the list um, for music and song for El Dorado. Let's see, what else do I have? Um, okay, so in the supporting actor category, I think there's a legitimate argument that Michael Caine should have been nominated for Miss Congeniality. I think he's hysterical. And acting opposite, you know, the uh, the comedy genius that is Sandra Bullock, I mean, he holds his own, and I think he's even funnier. You know, Michael Caine... He he's his two Oscars are for you know dramatic performances and he is a very talented dramatic That's actor. Amazing, but he has that wonderful British just dry, very dry witty humor that you know we have seen even back in the eighties when he was nominated for Educating Rita. We kind of see some of that come back here in Miss Congeniality as he's playing her gay coach, um, and he does it so well. I don't know. I think he's so funny. For me, he's a standout in that movie. Um, I mean, if we're going to talk about Miss Congeniality, just briefly. Um, I know what you're going to say. Go ahead, just say it. <laughs> well, I'm going to say two things. One thing I'm going to say okay. is, you know, I, I, Sandra Bullock didn't get attention until she decided to go put on a blonde wig and a southern accent and be dramatic. And, <sighs> and I think that Sandra Bullock was turning in a level of greatness in these in these types of films yeah. um, that should have been recognized sooner because nobody mm-hmm. can do what she does in this movie the mm-hmm. way that she does it. You Correct. know? Um, further, we also get a great supporting performance from <laughs> Candace Bergen. <laughs> I was like, I know you're going to bring up Candace Bergen. I know you are. <laughs> Love me some she James is. Bergen. She's legitimately good in this movie. Very, very she good. Is. She plays a villain so well. She really, really does. You know, and it turns her... Um, uh, this is right after she did the show Murphy Brown. This turns mm-hmm. her uh, her uh, persona on its head. And I love it when we get that kind of thing. And those, like that performance, Michael Caine's performance, those are... Sometimes we get those comedic entries into the supporting categories. And um, so that's not... I mean, we do this year, actually, because Judi Dench gets a nomination for Chocolat. Um, So, uh... (laughs) Which, which, well, (laughs) I don't know how how much of a comedy I would consider Chocolat, but I understand it is more lighthearted. It's it's lighter. Lighter (laughs) is what I meant to say. Um, uh, But I... But, you know, the more... Like pressing example in recent years would probably be like Melissa McCarthy for yes. Bridesmaids, hundred um, percent. So that does happen, um, and I. This is just a, further examples of how comedic performances don't really get the attention. Very true. There's another supporting actress performance that I would have loved to have seen here. One of my favorite movies growing up is the movie Where the Heart Is with Natalie Portman and Ashley mm. Judd, and mm-hmm. I think Ashley Judd turns in such a good performance in this movie playing the single mom just looking for love and finding all these abusive men that just tear her apart and she has yeah. some really great scenes in this movie opposite Natalie Portman a very young Natalie Portman well, I guess not really she's been acting since she could crawl essentially but Natalie Portman coming into her own now as a leading lady movie star and Ashley Judd is so good in this movie so I would have liked to have seen her 
um, at least in the conversation. Ashley Judd is great. And also uh, uh, a a nod to Ashley Judd since she is going through a difficult time right now with the loss of her mother. Um, I find the Judd family so interesting that they have this, um, that one daughter who's this country music superstar and then one daughter who is just this, um, you know, amazing film actress. You know, what a... And also a great... Ashley Judd is a tremendous advocate um, for uh, great causes on top of that, so... 100%. 100%. Um, Uh, My final snubs are just in the actress, supporting actress categories for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is one of the first big crossover international features to sneak into the best picture director uh, in a lot of technical categories as well and made a shit ton of money at the U.S. box office. Are you going to say it? Are you going to say what I think you're going to say? Well, yeah, I think the the actresses in this movie, Michelle Yeoh and um, Zhang Zi, should have been nominated for... Yeah, uh, you can kind of flip them. I don't know. One's lead, one's supporting. They could both be lead. I'm not even sure. They both have huge, meaty performances in this movie. And they are so good. Um, to me, the women outshine the men in Grouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but I'm also a gay man, so that might just be my own bias in the film. But I think their their stories in the movie are so interesting, and they're so good. You know, I honestly marvel at the fact that Michelle Yao doesn't have... I. I I have to say, she this year. Yes, I know yes. it's early yes, in the yes, season, yes, yes, yes. but she, um, but everything, everywhere, all at once has got to come back in the conversation. This, I, I, just, I and she. Yeah, I can't be imagine a world where it doesn't. She is so flawless in that movie. And the movie is just. It's one of those great examples where it's a word of mouth film where people saw it and said it was so good. More people it's, saw it realizes how good it was and now it's just become this huge cultural moment and i really feel it will sustain itself all the way into the oscar conversation i really do it's another silence of lambs type Mm -hmm. um yeah um and uh but michelle Yao, you know she uh by the time this movie came out she was already somebody that american audiences knew you know she had been a bond girl you know she had she had gone international so it's it's kind of a little weird to me that she wasn't at least acknowledged with the fact that she had this name recognition already you know um but you know um we do have some stacked performances this year um and on we do that note is there any one of them that you'd like to highlight so I do. I spotlight. really want to spotlight. I do want to spotlight the film Billy Elliot. I absolutely adore this movie, and it did, it did garner uh, quite a slew of nominations. Um, but I think it does miss out on a couple very key ones. For those who haven't seen Billy Elliot, it is a movie set in Northern England during the miners' strike that took place during the 1980s, and it's about a young working class boy who discovers his passion for ballet, uh, much to the I don't know anger and frustration of his very hyper masculine father. But this is the movie that started my love affair with director Stephen Daldry, who is one of my favorite working directors still today. 
and I guarantee you, you are going to be hearing me talk more about Stephen Galt Daldry in the next uh, eight to ten episodes or so. I just think he puts so much passion and emotion into his movies, which is what I respond to most. Just give me scenes between actors talking about their problems, and I am riveted. He's kind of like in the vein of like in Elia Kazan back in the 50s, very like an actor's director, um, but much less problematic. <laughs> But you without <laughs> without naming names, is that what Correct. you're saying? That's, that's <laughs> what I mean. But we Ugh. see that passion in his direction in this movie here. You know, there's so much fire in the character, of especially the father and then the character of Billy Elliot. They butt heads so much here because, you know, the father just doesn't understand why Billy loves dance so much. The only people who do understand are his best friend, his gay best friend, Michael, who just makes you want to cry right now thinking about that character. <laughs> and also his ballet teacher, who's, uh, her name is Sandra, played by the incredible Julie Walters, which, kind of funny how I've already mentioned educating Rita in this episode. Here she is, Rita herself. Uh, she's tough on him, though. She is just as tough and, like, hard-nosed as the father, but in an opposite way. She pushes Billy to be a dancer um, and to kind of take it all in stride because she knows, you know, a straight boy in the ballet world, he's going to have to develop some tough skin to make it through. But for me, the real emotional punch, and this is where I think Stephen Daldry's direction is just so wonderful. It comes at the very end of the movie um, where Billy is waiting to hear back from the Royal Ballet School on whether or not he's been accepted to be a student there. And he gets the envelope, it arrives in the mail at their house, and instead of opening it in front of his whole family, he removes himself to a room to be alone. And his, you know, his heart is pounding, our heart is pounding, we just want him to be accepted. And he finally sees that he does, and he just collapses, and we really finally see like him let himself break down. And it's beautiful filmmaking because we get to share that moment with Billy in private. Nobody else is there. We get to see him succeed. And that just gets me every time. But I think you, this film... Go ahead. I was going to ask you. I mean, like, this is a performance-driven film. Do you feel mm -hmm. that... Do you feel that we had some snubs there? I absolutely do. I think, you know, alongside his Best Picture nomination, and I think Daldry got nominated... Yeah, he also got nominated for Director. Jamie Bell should absolutely have been in the Best Actor category. You know, he's largely quiet throughout this film. He's very introspective. There's not a lot of dialogue he has. But I think, and we've talked about this before, I think that can be more challenging sometimes, especially when it's a child actor, you know? Jamie Bell is capable of showing all this emotion by just, you know, furrowing his brow or uh, like pinching up his nose or something. To me, it's kind of a masterclass from such a young performer, and I think he definitely should have been in the leading actor category. That's kind of, for me, the big snub of this film. I, I, I want to ask you, before I say anything further on Spotlight, I want to ask mm -hmm. you um, about the about the double nomination. Ah, um, uh, in director? Yes. Because um, neither one of these movies won Best Picture. Mm -hmm. um, but one of Steven Soderbergh's nominations did end in him winning Best Director. Um yes. Do you think that that should have been allowed as a double nomination? And if that nomination wasn't there, do you think that, um, I mean, 
do we put chocolate in there? Do we? Uh, you you're saying no to that. Do we put <laughs> no. um, I really requiem for a dream? Do we put castaway? Do we put um, requiem for a dream? Makes more sense to me. Um, uh-huh. I think. Uh, it's challenging because I think Steven Soderbergh is obviously a very great director, and I think Traffic is a well-made movie. It's kind of a movie and a style of filmmaking that's been duplicated to death now since Traffic. Um, very kind of like documentary-ish kind of style, you know, very quick-cutting and all that kind of stuff that Soderbergh is so famous for. But for me, I think his better movie was Aaron Brockovich that year. So I think he won for my le- less favorite of his movies that year. I love Aaron Brockovich. I think it's such a good movie. But the double nomination is weird. It's never happened before, and it has never happened since. And I think it's very strange that it happens for Steven Soderbergh in this year. I don't I don't know. And I don't know how this happened. I think it's very I, I odd. I didn't know it was... I mean, do we... What are the rules? I was going to ask you if you knew. Can this still happen? I think it can. I think it just depends on how many votes you get, which I think does show how much support Soderbergh had for both of these movies. You know, clearly people couldn't choose between the two which one to give him the nomination for. I mean, both were up for Best Picture as well. Um, And Screenplay, I think. I think it won... Yeah, Traffic also won Screenplay. So Soderbergh... uh, He didn't write it, but um, both were up for lots of nominations. So... He definitely, I think, and also in getting the two nominations, it was very clear he was going to win at least one of them. But I we mean, could have maybe, seen a situation but it could have split. It could he have. could have gotten yeah. split exactly. Um, yeah, I think it that is Ang Lee weird. or Ridley Scott obviously are his closest competition here. I think so too. Yeah. Um. Obvi- I mean, obviously Ridley Scott because Gladiator won Best Picture, but um, but uh. It's just, like, interesting to me, like, who ends up going into that category instead? Does this mean, I mean, theoretically, doesn't this mean that an actor could be nominated twice? And, but you see, that has changed now, because remember back in 1944, for Going My Way, when, um... Two categories, Yeah, Very separate categories, but then they changed it to where, well, I guess that's the thing, where it's one performance can only get one nomination. So, no, you're right. I guess, technically, I suppose an actor could get yeah. two nominations for two different movies in the same category. I guess you're right. Yeah, it's just like Wild. it opens up this whole can of worms. And it's interesting to me that this has not come up again after it was such a, I mean, it was all, it was a huge amount of talk when it happened. I remember this yeah. conversation this is one of the first Oscars I really remember watching, too. Yeah. Even though I hadn't seen any of the movies, I watched <laughs> the Oscars. Um, but uh, it, it, it's an interesting conversation. You know, there's a lot um, There's a lot to spotlight this year. This is a, I, I, you said it, like a really great year in film. There's definitely yeah. a lot of movies that could, could have arguments to be in the best picture or director race in this movie um you know and then of course we also have brilliant performances uh you know like kate hudson's uh kind of um breakout and almost famous um and uh of course ellen burston gives uh is incredible 
in Requiem for a Dream, um, I think there's a real argument that she uh, she was cl- clearly the number two. I think. In oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Yes, but do category. not take that Oscar from Julia. Don't you dare. We're not taking it from Julia, but <laughs> but I I'd say like Julia's because this is Julia's iconic performance. Mm-hmm. Aaron Brockovich. Um, and I mean, like Julia Roberts is great, and she actually did get a nomination for one of her romantic comedies, which I appreciate when that happens. Um, but uh, what I would like to spotlight this year um, is we have a very stacked honorary situation going on this year. Mm. Um, first of all, the Thalberg Award goes to Dino De Laurentiis, who's one of the most storied producers um in film history someone whose name that we know pretty well because uh of their production company being on the universal lot um and something that we would point out as tour guides uh but the honorary awards i don't want to sleep on are these names that might not be as familiar to your average person you got jack cardiff who is one of the great technicolor cinematographers of all time he worked with Pal and Pressburger, who we've mentioned some of their movies before on the show, including uh, Red Shoes and Black Narcissus. Um, just absolutely incredible, um, incredible cinematography in those movies, particularly in Black Narcissus. If you haven't seen that, it's just one of the most beautiful movies of all time. He also did The African Queen, which is a legendary production, actually filmed on location in Africa. Um and so that's one of the most influential, if not the most influential, of uh, color cinematographers um, ever. And then we have um, one of the great screenwriters of all time winning an honorary award this year, Ernest Lehman, who we both have uh, feelings about for probably maybe different reasons. Um, he wrote one of um, your, or he did the adaptation of one of your favorite films, um, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, which I haven't seen it yet, but it is uh, that play is here in LA right now with Zachary Quinto and uh, and Calista Flockhart. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. But I really want to. But I talked to some friends who did go and see it, and they said it's really good. Ah, I'll try to get uh, press passes for that, Sam. And oh my god, I will we'll see. Die. <laughs> um, we'll see about that. Uh, put a pin yes. in it. Um, he also wrote. <laughs> two musicals that i love west side story and the sound of music he did those adaptations but he also wrote uh north by northwest which is uh such a brilliant movie he wrote with billy wilder and samuel taylor he wrote the script for sabrina which is a very clever well-written film he um he did hitchcock's last movie family plot um, and he also adapt. He became kind of the guy who adapted musicals. He also did the Hello Dolly adaptation. He did the King and the King and I adaptation. He did a brilliant movie called uh, Executive Seat Suite. He did Sweet Smell of Success. I mean, we're talking about a guy who just wrote such a variety of really wonderful uh, material and was also on the ground floor of writing for those live television. Uh, specials in the night in the late 40s and early 50s when television was getting off the ground um and uh in addition uh but he never he never won a competitive oscar which is a shame 
I would have probably given it to him for either the Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf adaptation or um, or uh, 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 North by Northwest. Um, and he, he's, he actually, I believe, was the only Oscar that West Side Story didn't win that they were nominated for in right. 1961. Um, so uh, I just want to highlight Jack Cardiff and Ernest Lehman as two legends of entertainment and i also want to spotlight them because they if they had won these honorary awards in 2022 they would have not been on the ceremony broadcast very true very true i think learning about these names that may not be headliners uh makes for a more layered interesting tribute to film as a um as a broadcast and if you look at the runtime of broadcast and if you look at the ratings for this broadcast uh having these people who were not headline names and probably that most of the viewers didn't know their names before the ceremony having them pay tribute to during the ceremony certainly did not affect the ratings or the runtime so very true speaking of runtime for this episode we have to talk about our Best Picture winner eventually. <laughs> so here it is, guys. Probably one of our least favorite movies of the year. Let's talk about the Best Picture winner, Gladiator. If you haven't seen it, I this think movie. you hate it more than I do this time around. But um, I, I I like it fine. Um, I, but I don't I don't I don't love it. But I like it. That's my that's my top line take. I love that. Well, Gladiator um, is about Russell Crowe, who plays Maximus, a decorated Roman general who is betrayed by Commodus, who seizes power after killing his father, the Emperor Aurelius. Maximus then becomes a gladiator in order to seek revenge on the death of his family and the emperor. By the numbers, this was nominated for 12 Oscars, winning five of them. And from a budget of $103 million, it grossed a worldwide box office of over $460 million. It has a score on Rotten Tomatoes of 77% fresh, and on the letterbox service, it has four out of five stars. All right, so you said you like this movie. What letter grade would you give it? Uh, like a B minus. A B minus. Okay, I'm like right there. I'm giving like a solid C. It's like a very average yeah. film in my opinion. Um, okay, so, okay. I was kind of under the impression that you were going to probably hate this more than I did, but no, I guess no, you no. might like it more than me. Surprise. Maybe it's, um, I mean, I went in and I was expecting like Braveheart, and it's it's not that. Um uh, I'll, I'll let's. Well, I'll say the good to start it off, okay. and then we can talk yeah, what's, about what's where it where it falters. Um, it is um, again visually beautiful. Um, it's a really well shot movie. Um, it's also one of these early movies that mixes in computer generated graphics to help um, complete some scenes, uh, including completing the performance of. Um, yeah of Oliver Reed. Uh, uh, 
Oh, I will also mention, I didn't say this in our snubs, but I really liked uh, Richard Harris in this movie. His small part, I thought, was great and would have been a nice supporting actor. Because he actually is a supporting actor, which is, what I'm going to get to this in a second. But um, mm. uh, uh, the, the lead performances from Russell Crowe and... Um, Joaquin? Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't know why that... <laughs> sorry um are are really really good um i kind of i i kind of feel like joaquin phoenix is almost a lead in this movie um it's almost Mm. a co-lead you know um but it's not it's not super category fraud in the way that a lot of movies are but um he uh he definitely is a very very heavy supporting film uh performance Mm. um i I think he's probably the most interesting thing in the entire film, actually, because he um, he has a darkness about him that uh, you automatically uh, respond to, I think, as a viewer. He plays this type of uh, villainous role extremely well. And, um, and I, you know, Russell Crowe is uh, engaging. You know, I... Um, We'll we'll have to have the discussion next year, um, our next episode about whether or not we feel it was this or if he should have won for a beautiful mind. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the better Russell Crowe performance? Because um, I don't know. This is a good. This is a really good performance. But I don't know. I I, I don't know. Knowing that he's going to give something that's maybe a little bit more nuanced next year because that's the thing about this movie ultimately um i think it's a sword and sandal epic that isn't very that isn't dissimilar to the ones that were made in mass in the 1950s and 60s um Mm -hmm. you know it's very much a movie that uh charlton heston would have starred in in the 50s you know um and outside of, you know, updated visuals and uh, a very heavy implication of incestuous feelings, I think it is uh, very akin to those movies in structure. And um, and I, I don't know if it's as nuanced as it thinks it is. Yeah. No, yeah, I think you're absolutely hitting on exactly what I feel like, too. There's there's nothing original here. There's nothing surprising here. This is, you know, plots and even characters that we've seen before. And I think... And I think that, like, they... It's like a combination of, like, like a Spartacus mixed in, to me, like, with a Braveheart. It's bringing in all of that... The more graphic violence that you can get away with... Um, here in these later years, you couldn't get away with back in the 50s and the 60s, but still following the exact same story and structure that we have seen time and time and time again. And to me, that is just not enough. That's not enough. So much to the, to the fact, too, where it's like, you know, you were talking about Russell Crowe's performance. It's so simple. His family's murdered. He's seeking revenge. That's really it. There's nothing else going on with his character. And I just think that's very dull. But I'm also one of those people, I don't really respond to these, like, 
brutish revenge films. You know what I mean? They just don't do a lot for me. Mm-hmm. I saw the uh, the movie The Northman uh, a little bit ago, and I went into that movie really expecting me blown away because I love that director. I love his aesthetic and his eye, and left feeling incredibly disappointed because. To me, that film is also exactly like this. A man seeking revenge on the death of, in that case, his father, who was king. And that's the only driving force of the movie. And that, to me, just gets very boring after a while. Especially for a movie that goes way over two hours long. It is not enough, in my opinion, to fill that much screen time. You know? Um, But... Um, I don't want to compare those two movies too much because I think The Northman is a better film than Gladiator. Gladiator, to okay. me, is is a good movie because of Joaquin Phoenix. And I agree with you that it is a very strong supporting performance. I think it does fit well into the supporting category just because, you know, this movie is about Russell Crowe's revenge. So putting him in lead, I understand but I really love seeing Joaquin Phoenix here. And I think this is really the film that catapults him into this territory of becoming a legitimately good actor. Um, this could be a very, I don't want to say throwaway, but this could become a character that becomes very, um, oh, he it could have gone the way of playing him too evil. You know what I mean? And having no emotion. But with Joaquin Phoenix doing it, we really understand his intentions and we get why he kills his father and then why he's trying to hold on to that power. It's in his eyes. They're so menacing. But when he's talking, it's very sweet and delicate. You know, you kind of want to. It's like a snake almost. You get like roped in uh, to this uh, magic or this power, this spell he's putting on you. The only thing that I didn't really understand, and this is kind of where <laughs> the movie kind of falters for me, is I felt like they were setting him up to be, like, not a really great warrior in battle, but then the final battle is between him and Russell Crowe, so I'm like, well, wouldn't Russell Crowe just absolutely destroy him? But I don't know. <laughs> Things like that didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, I don't know, Rans. I don't know. I don't think there's a whole lot different here than Braveheart five years ago. You know, I, I think this, this is a better movie than Braveheart. I, I will give it that. Than Braveheart. Because at least Gladiator does not have Mel Gibson performing in it. Um, but a Best Picture winner? No! Absolutely not. It's wonderfully shot, it's beautifully constructed. But there is not enough depth here. There is not enough meat here to warrant, in my opinion, even a nomination. But Ooh. audiences in the year 2000 were very taken with it. So yeah. here we are. <laughs> um, well, I, I, think it's, I think it's very solidly made. I will, I will say is. that. Yeah. I think it's a very competent film, and I think it's well-structured. And um, I don't think it's... Um, it didn't bore me at any point um it's again not my kind of movie i'm not into masculine octane films you know um i want uh you know if i'm gonna watch the northman i want it to just be nicole kidman and then that's it Um, who's the best part of that movie (laughs) well she's the best part of most movies she's in but um (laughs) yeah 
I mean, except except the hours where Meryl Streep is the best part. I I know that'll be a fun conversation. <laughs> I, talking about the nominations for who gets nominated from that movie. <laughs> yeah. um, why aren't all three of them nominated? I it's it's a whole thing. ridiculous because they're nominated for other things. It's like I don't know. Anyway, um, big year. Big year. Uh, Nicole Kidman is actually the best part of the hours, but don't tell Sam that I said that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the thing the thing about these types of movies is they're not really made for me, and so it's difficult to yeah. judge them in a uh, objective way because it's not like I would. This is a movie I would just choose to go see willy nilly. Um, if I didn't have to watch it for this podcast, of course. Um, but all of that said, with that very low bar, it didn't offend me the way that Braveheart did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, <laughs> You know? Um, and uh, it was competently made, and uh, the performances are solid, and Joaquin Phoenix is... Uh, oddly entrancing throughout the entirety of his performance and um you know it's fine (laughs) all right well what about russell crowe do you think he really deserves an oscar for best actor in this movie i think he gives a good performance i think it's interesting that he won for the very reasons you describe the character there's a pretty simple arc here that is just a, a vengeance story. So he doesn't have uh, on the page nearly as much to play as Joaquin Phoenix does, who's mm-hmm. you know dealing with um, the, the weird incestuous feelings that he has for his sister and um, and his power struggles and incompetence as a son and you know like there's a lot more going on on that side. Um, there's just more to play. I don't think it's a Russell Crowe problem. I think it's a script yeah. issue that I think Russell Crowe gives uh, the best performance you could ask for out of this performance. And when he says, My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. I mean, it's very impactful. So it, 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 it's it's interesting that he won because I do think that some of the other performances here, I mean, there is very much an argument that Tom Hanks could win a third Oscar this year. Um, for Castaway, yeah. For Castaway. Because um, he literally carries that movie. But you know what? It's like, we talk about, we both mentioned where it's like, we don't really respond to these, you know, um, hyper-masculine revenge movies. But here you also have, in the same year, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is also a revenge film. Uh-huh. You know, not not nearly as masculine, it's more, well, I guess it's sort of the woman, you know, behind that but you have another revenge type of similar plotline going on here. You know what I mean? Seeking vengeance. Um, and they managed to do it in a way that is poetic, um, very 
um, it's, it's full of just depth and full characters. I guess that's what I'm missing in Gladiator is these, these they come off more as just stereotypes, tropes. There's really nothing going on beyond I am here to avenge my family's death. You know what I mean? Whereas in a film like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, there is so much more to each and every single character. They're just so much more drawn out and they're full, real people. And I feel like in these films like Gladiator, Braveheart, even back in the 50s and 60s, the Spartacuses, you know, we don't get that. We sacrifice that for... I don't even know, because I don't want to say we're sacrificing it just for a bunch of violence and action sequences, because Crouching Tiger also has that. It manages to do both. And that's what I think is disappointing when you give the Oscar to Gladiator, which does not rise above, you know, that. And yeah. I guess that's where I'm coming from, you know? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can see your point. And I, I do think that this is a weird... Best Picture winner. Um, occasionally, you it's it's interesting too. It, I mean, it's the highest grossing film out of the out of the uh, Best Picture nominees. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, it does. Uh, so it is this opportunity to give a blockbuster, so to speak, um, the the Oscar. Um, I mean, you could have also had cast away in the conversation and filled that same void with something that's uh, a little atypical as a as a blockbuster goes but it did make a butt load of money you know um yeah i uh but i i it doesn't offend me in the same level that it offends you but i do think that there are probably better choices yeah, it just feels yeah. like it was the safe choice, you know? It was the easiest one to pick, mainly because everyone had seen it. And I guess that's, that's to me where it's like, this to me feels like a very lazy Best Picture winner, you know? It was, it was the easy one, and we're going to see that, you know, quite a few more times going forward, where, you know, the highest grossing film does win Best Picture. But what I think is interesting is, in like the last 10 years or so, we've sort of gone away from that, where we're really starting to see a lot more independent filmmaking break into the best picture race, which then creates its own separate kind of conversation where, oh, but it's the better film. And I love that we're talking about our best picture winners now being the better movie and not just the more popular film. So much so that the Oscars have toyed around with creating that most popular film category, which I'm so yeah. glad they have not. But but that's what I'm saying is like we're starting to kind of have a little wear and tear here, a little pull away from that. And, you know, back in the year 2000, that was not happening yet. But I think that's what we're seeing here. This is clearly a very popular film. This is this is entertainment. That's that's what this is, you know? And I'm glad people love it because it is very, a very, very beloved film. I'm glad people enjoy watching it and return to watching it. Um, but as far as, like, the best movie of the year, the best film, uh-huh. no. It's a no for me. <laughs> yeah, I, um... I, I mean, I think that it, it, if maybe if Emperor's New Groove had been nominated, we would... Uh, <laughs> Well, listen, here's... Okay, then here's the question. What is your best picture winner of the year? <laughs> um, My best picture winner of the year. Uh, I would say 
uh, uh, from this list, probably Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Of the nominees, yeah. Um, yeah. That's tough for me. Yeah, it's between Crouching Tiger and Aaron Brockovich. I'm such a sucker for that movie. I love it. It's probably Aaron Brockovich. Nope, it is. I love that movie so much. Albert Finney should have won his Oscar for this movie. I would have loved that. Yeah. Uh, besides the nominees, what's just your favorite movie of the year? The Emperor's New Groove. I feel like we've established yeah, me too. this. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, like without question. Uh, without it's question, so it's definitely the movie I've seen the most from this year. Emperor's New Groove is so good. Oh, I wish it would. Oh, gosh, I just would have it's loved to have so, seen it somewhere. So good. It is. Um, okay. Well, that wraps that up. So let's get into what we're going to talk about. Um, next week, we have another Russell Crowe film winning Best Picture in 2001, the movie A Beautiful Mind from director Ron Howard. Now, we've both seen this movie, yeah? Yeah, it's been a long time, but I'm going to watch it again. Yeah, I think I am, too. Yeah. And how are yeah. you feeling about next year? Do you have exciting feelings? You know, I do. Next year is a really fun year because this is... Um, where we start getting into where I started to watch the Oscars. Um, uh-huh. This, I think, was, like, the very first category, the first year that I really remember seeing from start to finish the whole ceremony. Um, so I am excited to talk about this one. There are quite a few movies in this year that are some of my absolute favorites of all time. So this will be a very fun year for me to talk about. That's a, that's a high, high praise right there. It is. Um, yes, it is. So this is gonna this is gonna be a fun, a fun Oscars for us. We're gonna have a good time. Yes, we are. Join us next week. We'll talk about the two thousand one. Nicole Academy Kidman's Awards nominated. The... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be with you guys again next week for a beautiful mind. 